0: want us to look at Ephesians and to see that as we're thankful for things like jobs and homes and family, that all of those flow out of the the first blessing, the primary blessing of God not leaving us in our sin, um, but God making a way for us to be saved. Um, We're going to be just in the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read that. And then sort of where we're going, I want to say a couple things about the first two verses because a lot of times we skip those uh, because, you know, the greeting and and who it's written to and by, Um, but then move into uh, talking mostly about uh, verses three through six for the rest of the time. So uh, let me read Ephesians 1, verses one to six. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly, heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Let me pray as, as we begin. Father God, that you would open up your word to us today. That we would once again hear the incredible story Of your glorious grace. God, guide my mind and my mouth that I would bring your truth this morning, that it is not just what I think, but God, that it would be your truth to be played out in our lives. God, give me your grace and uh, grant me the wisdom of your Holy Spirit this morning. Jesus' name, amen. Um, Ernie, go ahead and go back. No, you can leave it down. But I just want to say a couple things about verses one and two and follow along there before we get in. But first of all, that Paul is writing this to the Ephesians and he calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And that Paul sees himself, don't mind the man behind the screen. <laughs> Paul sees himself as being sent out by God, by God's will, that God has a plan for Paul's life, okay? And and the reason that I say this, the reason that I want to look at these first two verses, which are so commonly skipped, is that a lot of times the first couple verses give us hints as to what is coming later. It's sort of like, hey, pay attention for this sort of thing, because it's going to come back later in the rest of the book. So the first thing is that that Paul sees his job as an apostle as coming from the will of God, that God has given Paul this responsibility, that God said, Paul, this is what you are going to do for me. Secondly, I want us to see the repetition of Christ, that Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus, that the believers in Ephesus are, faith, are faithful believers in Christ Jesus. And that the grace and peace from Paul to the Ephesians is in Christ Jesus. Now, one of the things, as we're talking about when we study our Bibles, is that when something's repeated a couple times, that means it's important. And within two verses, we have Christ Jesus repeated three times. So, Jesus might be important to what Paul's going to say. Uh, next is that he calls the Ephesians God's holy people, or to the saints, in Ephesus. And, and the idea here, and this is an idea that's going to come up later, and we'll see this, is that number one, this shows continuity to the Old Testament, because Israel was called God's holy people. Also, that we are made holy so that we can be in a relationship with God through Christ's death on the cross, and that we're also God's holy people and that he says look live like me live holy lives and this is going to come up this is going to come up as we continue on here next they're called the faithful in Christ Jesus that people have a relationship with Jesus through faith not through who their parents were or how nice they are or how much money they have but by faith and that he greets them by saying grace and peace to you. And and what is helpful about that is that grace was a way that a gentile or a greek person would start a letter whereas peace would be a word that a jewish person would use. And so you have a greek or a gentile greeting and a jewish greeting and showing that because in the jewish mind you're either a jew or you're not a jew. Okay, there's no third category. So what Paul in this greeting is saying, all of us together are the people of God, regardless of our country of origin, regardless of where we come from, regardless of the color of our skin, so on and so forth. But that all those people are God's people. Now, I want to move on from there because I don't want to spend too much time, but those things are what we're going to look at today and the rest of of our section of text, verse 3, that that every blessing is from God, okay? We're going to see how we need to be thankful for God's saving grace, but first we need to recognize that every blessing is from God. Verse 3 says this, "'Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ.'" Now, the first thing I want us to see is that where it says praise there, it could also say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in the updated English, it's easier for us to say, Praise be. Um, So, what you have, if you wanted to literally translate that, is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Again, What's the main point of the verse where the same word's repeated three times? (laughs) That blessing comes from God. And and when the Bible talks about us blessing God, okay, it's not like we're like, hey, God, you know, I'm going to bless you because I'm awesome, and you need me to bless you. No, when the Bible says things like, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name— What that means is not that we're actually blessing God, that He needs anything from us, but that we recognize that He is the one who gives every blessing. So, in recognizing His blessing, we worship Him. Okay, and that's the first point I want to say that that every blessing is from God, so we must worship Him for providing everything that we would need. Every spiritual blessing. In Christ God provides everything we need and the proper response to that is worship when we worship we are realizing and recognizing how big and awesome and great God is that's worship when we say God you have blessed me with so much that I must respond that's what worship is that's what it is at its core whether that is with singing, as we've done this morning, whether that's in prayer, or whether that's in living our lives as worship. We do it in response to how God has blessed us. The next thing I want us to see in how God blesses us is not only that our response but we worship, but that it says God has blessed us. And you might be thinking, okay, Jim, that's a really small detail. But first of all, God does want to bless us. A lot of people see God as wanting to spoil our fun. You know, well, I can't party because now I believe in God. Or I can't do this and that was fun because I believe in God and I have to be somber and angry and bitter and stuff. But but God wants to bless us. God wants to give us good things. And that he wants to bless us. And, and in that word, us, There's a picture of not only just us as individuals, but us as a group, that when we have a relationship with God, it is on an individual basis, but it's also on a corporate basis, that we as the church, that we as the family of God have a relationship with him, and that as a family that we need to love one another, that... That God does not just save us so that we can live out in the desert alone, but God saves us into a community. And that means giving to the community. That means receiving from the community, being involved in community life, which is sometimes the hardest part of belonging to a church, that there are other people here. This place would be great without those other people. If everybody was just like me, it'd be a lot easier to get along with me. Well, sometimes. But, but that God blesses us as the church. That God created the church to be his people. And that's something that Paul takes very seriously. That we're called to be in a community with one another. How does he bless us? It says, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to wait to get to heaven to get any blessing, okay? That our life here is miserable and we got to grit our teeth and bear it. But then once we get to heaven, then it'll be fun. And then be like, yay, we get our blessing now. But what it is is that God blesses us now, but we do look to to heaven where there is blessing in a way that we've never experienced before. That God blesses us right now, that every day is a blessing from him. But yet we look forward to a day where we will be face to face with our creator, where we will be in paradise, where there will be no more tears, Will there be no more sin because we will be in the presence of a holy God? And so while we recognize that God blesses us here and now, that we look forward to a day of so much more blessing. That God is not stingy with his blessings. And how does he do this? Does this in Christ. We're going to see this phrase again and again. And as I said at the beginning, Christ Jesus is, is repeated again and again. But that we are blessed in Christ. What does that mean? One commentator put it, All that God has done for his people and for which he is praised has been affected in and through Christ. Our relationship to God is mediated through Jesus. Everything we do, every blessing that God has given us and will give us is through Christ. And, and our faith is contingent on Jesus. That, that our faith is either everything or it's nothing depending on what we think of Jesus. If you look at, at other religions, if you look at other systems of thought, the biggest difference, because some, there are some people who say all religions are the same, well, They aren't, and especially on the point of who is Jesus. And we're going to keep coming back to this again and again, that at the center of everything God does, at the center of it is Jesus. At the center of God's entire plan for the universe is Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Every blessing we have is from God in Christ Jesus that we need to have in our lives Jesus at the center that he is the most important thing and the most important decision you can make is what to do with Jesus do you believe what the Bible says about him or do you not and that's the basic question so Continuing on, he has blessed us in every way. But how does he bless us more specifically? Okay? Verses 4 through 6. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one He loves. Look at verse. the beginning of verse 4 there. It says, for he chose. The for there has the idea of, of cause, like because. Okay, so he has blessed us because he chose us. But also, that word there has the idea of in the same way. And so, because he did this, because, and the idea is that just as he blesses us with these blessings... In the same way, that is how he saved us. So we need to be thankful for God's saving grace because God chose to save us. That in wanting to bless us and wanting to not leave us in our sin, God chose to save us. Now, let me pause here and I know that that some of these words here can cause uh, some disagreement as to what they exactly mean, and I want to be, um, I want to be sensitive to that, and I want to be open to that. And so, I invite anyone if you uh, if you have some thoughts for me afterwards, uh, you can come make an appointment, and we'll have coffee at Happy Thoughts and talk about it. But I what I want to focus on here is is what are some things that this text must be saying? Okay, and I'm not going to focus on some of the minutiae but, but I want to see, what is the Bible trying to say? It's because this is what the Bible says, and, and I want to be faithful to what this word is saying. And so it says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And, and the way I want us to think about this, because I think how you think about God choosing us changes um, your feelings about it. The thing I want to focus on is when it says God chose us is that God took the initiative. When we were dead in our sin, we didn't help ourselves. We needed God to take the initiative and choose to come to our rescue. The the best illustration I can think of this, uh, it comes from Jesus and his story of the prodigal son. And near the end of the story of the prodigal son, this, the younger son is coming back. He's been living in Vegas for a while and uh, comes to his senses and decides, I'm going to come back to my father. But this is in the details in this story, too. The father is out there looking for him, he's waiting for his son. And as he sees the son come back, the father runs out to him. Now, if you are a wealthy, first-century Palestinian male, you do not run, okay? (laughs) And that's an important part of that story. But that, that the father runs out, and before the son can say anything, the father welcomes him back into his family. Before the son can even say anything about what he's done, the father says, You're my son, you're coming back. And that's how I want us to see this in that when it says that God chose us, he says, You are mine. And we don't earn it, we don't uh, somehow make God take us back. But he runs out, and he says, you're mine. You are my son, or you are my daughter. So how did he choose us? One, he chose us in Christ. And I said this before, this is going to keep coming back, and Paul wants to keep reiterating that at the center of God's plan for the world is Christ. That you don't have salvation without Christ that God decided, as we'll see in a second, before the creation of the world, that he would send Jesus to die on our behalf. That God's plan for the entire universe is centered around the person of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Now let me pause here and ask this question. We're going to come back to it at the end as well. But is this the center of our plans for our lives? Jesus Christ dying on the cross was at the center of God's plan for the entire universe before time began. So that might mean it's important. I want us to ask ourselves and be really honest with ourselves, is the death and life and resurrection of Jesus Christ at the center of everything that we do? does it have the place of importance that it needs to have? How also did he choose us? He chose us before the creation of the world. Before we could do anything to earn being chosen, God chose us. Uh, An illustration I use with, with the students when we come up to verses like this is the idea of cosmic kickball. And I have them picture um, gym class and people choosing uh, teams for kickball. And I say, this is not how God works. God's not like, ooh, you're a really fast runner. I want you on my team. Or, ooh, you kicked the ball really far. Okay, I want you on our team. And then all the losers get left on the other team. This is not the picture of the Bible. It's not God picking the best, not God picking the prettiest and being like, ooh, I really need to pick you because I want my team to be better than the other team. Now, the picture in the Bible is that God chooses us not because of how good we are, but because of how good he is. And this is something that I want to, keep reiterating is that whenever the Bible talks about God choosing us, it's always a good thing. Like, that we need to be thankful for. That we need to be like, if God didn't, we'd still be left in our sin. He chose us for the purpose of being holy and blameless. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now again, we saw a little taste of this in in those first two verses, that we're called to be God's holy people. And so when it says that he chose us to be holy and blameless, first of all is that we've been chosen to be given Christ's holiness because God is utterly holy and he cannot be around sin. And so to be in God's presence, we must be made holy. Well, the only way that that happens is if we are given the gift of Christ's holiness. And we 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 get that through faith in what Jesus did on the cross. That when God looks at us, he sees the holiness of Christ. And that is how we can be in right relationship. He doesn't see the holiness of me. He sees the holiness of Christ. But it also means that we need to live according to our original purpose. That, that just as God is holy, we are called to live with his character. That our goal in how we should act is not just being better than the other person. Well, if I'm just in front of the pact, I'll be okay. No. The goal is God and his holiness. And we're called to act like, that is why Adam and Eve were first created. To live in such a way that glorify God by mimicking his good character. And we have that. We have the best example that Jesus and his life on earth gave the greatest example of how to live life as God would live. And so, as we are called to be holy and blameless, we are called to live like Jesus. And that that is the standard by which we are measured How else has he chosen us it says end of verse four verse five in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ Now again predestined uh, predestination these can be uh, words loaded with emotion um, and so I want to deal carefully. With this, But the idea, again, is of the father and the prodigal son, a loving picture. God is a loving God, not a hate-filled, callous judge. And that the act of God saying, you are mine, is described, as you see at the end of verse 4 there, as an act of love. That because God loved us, he said, "You are mine." He chose us to be His, and He also did this for the purpose of adoption to sonship. Now, what that means is, and, and the reason it says sonship there is because uh, sons would be the ones who received the inheritance. And so, what it's saying there is that one, it's a personal relationship that when God chooses us, he chooses us to be in relationship with him in the way that a father and a child are in a relationship. That's not a harsh relationship, or at least it, it shouldn't be. But it's meant to be a relationship of love, that the father cares for the child. This is how This is how the Bible talks about God choosing us. With the loving, with being reflected by the loving relationship of a father and a child. But also, the idea here is that this is a privileged position, that we're not called to be God's servants. But rather, called to be a part of his family. And that there are benefits. We alluded to it earlier of being face to face with God for eternity. It's a pretty good benefit. But that God doesn't call us, serve me, O oh minions, <laughs> but that God calls us into his family. And that he wants to bless us as being in his family. And how does he do it? How does he do this? Through Jesus Christ. Again and again, Paul is emphasizing that Jesus is important to this story. That God wanting to bless us, that God wanting to be in right relationship with us happens through Jesus Christ. And it says, in accordance with his pleasure and will. So, number one, according to his will, that God planned for this to happen. He didn't just stand there one day and be like, you know, I should save mankind, you know? Oh, yeah, we'll let some of them in. Okay, we'll let some of the taller ones in. I don't know. (laughs) Or at least the ones that are good at basketball. Okay, I need to watch something for eternity, so we'll save all the basketball players. No, God had a plan, and before we saw that it was done before the creation of the world, that this did not surprise God, that your decisions do not surprise God, but that he said, you are mine, and it was also according to his pleasure. Again, God is not some old guy living in the clouds, who when you mess up, throws a lightning bolt at you. That's not the picture of God. picture of God says, I love these people. I want to save them so that they will be in relationship with me for eternity, so that I can bless them for eternity. God enjoys being in relationship with us. I may know that he's the only one who enjoys being in a relationship with me sometimes, but that's the point. It's not just that God's like, well, I have to save these guys because I created them. But he enjoys it. He wants to save us. And that it is done for worship. Look at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. That God has saved us. God has brought us into relationship with him. That when we recognize how great a gift that is, that we must respond with worship. Worship in all its forms. That at the center of our lives is worship for God. says there to the praise of his glorious grace now glory is an adjective that 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 is really for god and so what that's telling us is that when god gives us his grace that that is a true reflection of who he is as god okay whenever whenever in the bible you have someone, there, there are a couple scenes in the Bible where people come into God's throne room and they, they have a dream or something like that, and every time, they fall down. And so if you ever have this opportunity, if God ever comes, go ahead and fall down, it's okay. Everybody else does. Um, but it's because he's so glorious, because he's so perfect and holy. And that that, the best, the best way that God shows his glory is through his grace. And then, in turn, when we recognize how great that grace is, we worship him. And then, look at how the grace is described there, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. The grace with which he has graced us, freely given, in the one he loves. Emphasis on the idea that God's grace is freely given. That we do not earn it. That we must rely on his grace. And that Jesus is described as the one he loves. And when we receive God's grace, we are like Jesus, the objects of God's love. That as Jesus is the loved one, so also when we are given God's grace, we are shown the love of the almighty, infinite God. This is why we need to be thankful for God's grace. Because it's not up to us. We can never be good enough to save ourselves. But we must rely on the grace of God, on the love that existed before time even began. That God had a plan to not leave us in our sin separated from Him. And that this grace comes through Jesus Christ. A couple points. Of application as we wrap up. The first is that when times are hard and chaotic, which they often are, know that God's love for you is at the center of his plan for the entire universe. That this is not something that God just does on the side, but his love for us is at the center of his entire plan for everything that goes on in the universe. We are more than just his created robots. We are his family, and he will care for us. Secondly, if salvation is at the center of God's plan for the universe, it should be at the center of ours. Everything we do must be prompted by and motivated by God's plan of salvation. That God wants to be in relationship with sinners. Everything we do must be run by that. Thirdly, related to that is that Jesus, the person and work of Jesus, is at the center of God's salvation. And so we need to decide, what do we do with Jesus Is he just some guy who walked around with a bunch of fishermen and said cool things? Or is he the savior of the world? Fourthly, when the Bible talks about election and God choosing us, it is put in positive terms. It is a blessing that God has chosen us, a blessing that we do not deserve. Remember the prodigal son, of the father running out. This is a picture. This is the picture the Bible uses. Not some callous judge who's waiting for us to make a mistake. But it's the picture of a father running out and embracing the son who was dead but is now alive. when we think of what God has done, we must worship. Our lives must be worship. We don't do things so that people will just think we're cool or that people will think highly of us and we have a good reputation. It's more than that. It's our reputation with God. What God thinks about what we're doing. And that we worship him by following him and doing what he desires. And lastly, let me close by saying this. That this is a story of hope. And we are the only ones to offer real hope in this world. That we live in a world screwed up by sin. There's war, starving children... Split homes, violence. That's one thing you don't really have to convince people of that this world is screwed up. And that this world is screwed up by sin. And that we have a God who didn't leave it that way. We have a God who did not leave us and this world dead in the sin. and that he made a way. And there's a lot of people out there, I'm sure you know some that just have no hope. That that their view of the world is that this is it. And it's not that good to begin with because there are hard times. There are strained relationships. There are Huge epidemic problems of disease and war. But we know there's something more. That we have a God who ran out to us. That brought us back into his family. And that one day we will see face to face. And that is the story. That is the true story we offer to people we do not know that we offer Jesus Christ who will save them from their sins. Let's pray.